Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 147. As I mentioned, we are closing out our Beyond series. Let me first mention that uh, Pastor Bo and I, we kind of miscalculated because we were trying to figure out how to split up the whole book of Romans for the rest of this year. As you know, we have the missions month coming up. We have so many other things that are planned. We have Easter. And so therefore, as we're kind of doing the math, we realized that we were off by one. And so that's why we're going to combine today and talk about God going beyond our own power and looking to God's power, His greatness. And also, I want to talk about going beyond ourselves and reaching the next generation. So we're going to combine those two things together. And I believe that in the book of Psalm 145, in the first 13 chapters, as we will go over, it's going to talk a little bit about that. And I pray that it will be an encouragement to you. How many of you remember our theme? Our theme is what? Beyond. That is our theme for 2021 all the way to 2022. And we want to focus in on that. And one of the things that we did talk about was that we want it to be biblically rooted. So that's why we looked at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. And I'm going to read it for us again. And it says this in the New American Standard Bible. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. And what is that word? Beyond. All that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And as we're looking into this idea of beyond, I think it's important to understand two things. If you remember last week, we talked about how God is the one who fuels our imagination. He's the one who kindles it and ignites that. And as we begin to spend time with him and he will bring us to that destination that he has. And so as we're talking about that, The rest of this verse, we're going to be looking at as we're reminded that it's God's power who will enable us to get to that destination. And secondly, it has to go to the next generation. Everything that we do, it has to go to the next generation. Whatever you are pursuing after, whatever it is that you are aspiring for, whatever you're putting all your time, energy, resources, if it dies with you, then it will not amount to much. That's why I want to challenge all of us to think beyond ourselves and figure out, God, what is it that you're wanting me to do that anything that I do here on this earth, it will go beyond me, that it will last beyond my generation and into the next generation. And so that's why when Apostle Paul talks about this power that's working in us, it is God's power from all generation from one generation to another. And I think as I was thinking about this, I said, well, it's a powerful thought about how something can be actually passed down from one generation to another. Now, I hope you understand that it doesn't just come naturally. You have to be purposeful. You have to make it a priority to be able to pass anything down. And many of you who are parents uh, or want to be parents, you will understand that that is something that takes a lot of hard work as you spend time with your children. I wanted to show you this uh, quick video, and before I show it, I want to kind of give a little introduction because I didn't know about this. I was just kind of doing some research about things that are passed down from generation to generation, and then I came across Moko Jumbi. How many of you guys know what that is? Anybody? Moko is not the one in um, Mongkok East, you know, East, not that shopping mall. 
But if you look, it's uh, Moko Jambi is a still walker or dancer. And it has its origin from the west side of Africa. And it was probably brought over during those times uh, when uh, they were brought over in ships over to uh, the Caribbeans, uh, the horrific thing of slavery. And so one of the things that we see is that this West African and now more of a Caribbean kind of thing has been kind of a lost art now. And so these are stilt walkers, those stilts, those really high, kind of like those beams, and they're on it, and they're doing dancing. It's for all these festivals. And the reason why I think this is important is because the next generation is losing the art form of the Moko Jumbi. Now, when you think about this, you realize, but then in order for it to continue on, somebody has to teach, explain, and to show what it is and how to do it. I don't think it's very easy. I mean, look at these uh, stilts. Uh, you got to be balancing on these things, but they do a lot of dancing. It's kind of interesting. So I wanted to show you this video. It was a very quick video that talks about this person. Uh, his name is Jason Edwards. He's from Trinidad, and he lives in Brooklyn, and he's trying to get some of the younger generation to understand this art form and part of their culture of the Moko Jumbi. So let's, uh, let's watch this together. Isn't that awesome? I mean, for those of you who have different cultures and traditions, a lot of these things can actually be lost in your generation. And you'll see this all over. And I think in some ways it's natural because as one culture enters into another culture, you want to assimilate. So some of the things that you brought or some of the things that you've been taught, it gets lost. And you adopt a new culture. But there are so many beautiful things about different cultures and different traditions that you might have that you don't want it to be lost over a period of time. You want to keep some of those traditions. Uh, how many of you celebrated the Mid-Autumn Festival, right? Like I was introduced to a lot of different Chinese culture, uh, even though I've got to know some of these things in the previous years, but just finding out that these stories, and I, I won't even go there, but I was with my life group, and they were telling stories, and they're like, no, that's wrong, and that's wrong. I'm like, okay, who's right? You know, we have no idea. But they were sharing different stories that have been passed down from their parents to from their parents, and so it just keeps on going. And as I was thinking about this, I said, well, there's other areas of our lives when it comes to tradition, when it comes to culture. And I was just thinking about our family traditions, as many of you know. Uh, many of you have different traditions, and some of us, we don't have any traditions. One of the things in the Kim family that we have is that every single time it's someone's birthday, we allow them to choose where they want to eat. Now, the tough part is some of my, the two of my boys, my middle one, I, you know, I, I called him out, all right. Uh, he enjoys eating, so he enjoys like, like meat. So as you know, he goes to some of these, he wants some of these places where they have really expensive beef. And I'm like, oh, Lord. But that's our tradition. When you get to pick wherever you want to eat, and regardless of who doesn't want to eat or not, we all go. And another thing that we do as part of our tradition is that we allow, uh, after the meal, or sometimes we do it before the meal comes because you're sitting there and talking, we go around and we share one thing that we're thankful for for that person why God brought them into our lives and what they did even in this past year or in the previous years that has really been a blessing to us. Why? Because the part of the tradition is learning how to affirm 
that you're not an accident. You're part of our family, that God sovereignly brought you into our family and into our lives. So we affirm who they are and what they mean to us. And then we end up praying for uh, that birthday person. And then we pray for the food and we eat. I was thinking about not only the family tradition, but thinking about the church culture. Now, I understand that some of you have come from different church backgrounds, so there's some cultural things that are not good. But I'm thinking about some of those things that are good in terms of the Bible, reading the Bible. Some of you, it hasn't been that culture that you've been raised up in. It's just kind of sitting there listening to the preacher sharing. But one of our culture in our church is that we want to encourage every single person to read the Bible every single day. That's why we came up with this whole uh, training tool called the SOAP. Uh, some of the guys in our church have made this app so you can actually read the Bible and then observe what it is that God is trying to say to you, put an application on it, and then lift up a prayer and send it out to other people to let them know that these are the things that you've been learning. Another thing as I think about church culture in our church is prayer. It's, it's, it's really easy to be a part of a church or your background where prayer is only when you need something. But we want to develop more of the cultural prayer. And that's why in our life groups, we try to encourage you to pray. We try to encourage you to pray even when you're meeting and even before or after. Even when I think about the culture of our life group, some of you who have come from other churches to our church, you understand that everyone will believe that small group is important. But the way we do it and how we emphasize it, we're pretty much it is your spiritual family. Those of you who are students, that is going to be your spiritual family for not only this year, but next year, you're going to have other people that you can include in the spiritual family. Some of us who are a little bit older, we have known some of each other for many years now. And so we're learning how to build stronger relationships. That's part of our culture in our church. Even serving is part of our culture. And learning how to give back because those who have been served, now we want to serve. Those who have been loved, we want to now love other people. So why is this all this important? Because in one generation, everything that I just mentioned within the culture of our church or even in your family background, it can be lost in one generation. Now, those of you who are students here, let me just say this. One generation for a student is equal to one year, a grade. So those of you who are seniors now, fourth year, you are one generation. Those of you who are third year, you're a junior, that is another generation. And so there is a great likelihood that if you do not pass the culture of the community, about life group, about some of these values that we're talking about, then we're going to miss a generation. And you keep on missing a generation and things get watered down. Then after about four or five years, you realize it will be a complete different campus or a different life group or a different church. Those of you in the community of the city ministry, it's the same way. Now, there's a little bit more longevity because you're here, you're rooted here. But in the same way, it is easy to lose it in one generation. You'll see this even in the family ministries where the children are now hating to go to church. They're not reading the word because we're not passing things on. So as we close out this Beyond series, I really want us to make sure that 
not only trusting in God to go beyond our own powers, but trusting in God's power and trusting in his greatness. But I really pray that we'll think about passing things on to the next generation. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that God's greatness inspires exaltation and influences the next generation. I'm going to talk about a heart of worship as we understand the greatness of God and the power of God, and then talk about how it should influence into the next generation. So in order for God's greatness to inspire this sense of exaltation and influence the next generation, I'm going to specifically highlight two things in this passage. The first thing is this, that we must praise God's greatness, that we must praise God's greatness. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1 through 3 of Psalm 145. Hopefully you've turned to it. If you haven't, you can just listen and it'll also be up here. So this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to read it from the ESV. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Let's just pause here as we talk about how we must praise God's greatness. Uh, It's interesting because starting off in verse 1, we know that the writer of this psalm is David. It is the King David that we studied and the David that we all can relate to in many different ways. And the thing that's interesting about this is that as we read this psalm, as we see David writing the psalm, that his understanding of God's greatness comes from his experience with God. Let me just pause here and explain a little bit more of what I just said. Some of you in this room have a very small view of God. It's because you have not experienced great things that God wanted to show you. Some of it is because God's sovereignty. Some of it is because of your hardness of your heart and your rebellion. Sometimes it's just that you are so distracted by other things in life that you don't see the greatness of God working in your life. Think about it this way. I've been running, uh, uh, just meeting more and more people. I have been also just interacting with uh, just different people and we have been talk and discussion, hearing their background, where they're from. Also, I've experienced this just recently at a restaurant when I was at, at, at that restaurant. But I was thinking about this. If some of you grew up really, really, let's say, very impoverished, you didn't have enough, you barely had a roof over your head, you barely had food, and if you did have food, it was very, very simple things. I'm almost positive that some of your view of God will be shaped by that experience. That's why some of you in this room have a poverty mindset, that God is not strong enough, he's not great enough, that he's not able to provide for you, and everything is about yourself, because you learn that from your parents. Generosity is something that is taught. Don't ever forget that. You don't just magically become a generous person, because naturally, in our sinful nature, we are, to be, we are naturally selfish and self-centered. So whenever you meet a generous person, I would say this to you, they learned it whether they're from their family or they've been discipled. Because when you think about that heart of generosity, it's because they have this view of God, that God, everything that I have, it's not mine. 
You are the giver of all things. Wealth, life, whatever it is, you are the giver of all things. And therefore, I don't own it. I'm a steward. I'm just a manager of this. And then over the years, you start realizing that as you steward this and give it to the things that are of the kingdom of God, that God continues to bless you. It's almost like you have a bowl and that it's filled. And instead of keeping that bowl to yourself, you start pouring it out to other people. And guess what? You have an empty bowl and God keeps on filling it. And when you grow up with that kind of mindset and that experience of God, you realize that God is a provider. That's the same case with me. Is that when I think about my life and even after I got married and my wife and I, we kind of went through some difficult times trusting in God because we planted a church as soon as we got married, like literally two, three months after we got married. And God, over the last 20 some years, 25 years, he has always provided. And sometimes it was just enough. Sometimes we didn't think it was enough. Sometimes he gave us extra that we didn't really need. So we found ways to bless other people. And guess what started happening? God started blessing us even more. That's why for me, even though there are times when things are tight, even though I'm thinking about our church and we don't have our own place, something inside of me says that God will still provide in some ways. It's because of my experience of God. Now, why am I sharing all this? Because when you look at this psalm, everything that David is going to write about is because of his experience with God. The reason why some of you don't pray to this God who is not only all-powerful, but it's great and mighty, is because you have not experienced that. Sometimes it's because you're not taking steps of faith. You're holding on to things, and you're scared, you're insecure, rather than saying, God, I'm going to fully trust in you. When you think about David, think about all the stuff he experienced. David and Goliath defeated this huge giant that's put fear in the army of Israel with five smooth stones. Do you think David ever doubted that God is great in power and awesome in might that he could defeat any of his enemies? That comes out of experience. You think about how he was chased by King Saul and King Saul's jealousy of David because he was rising up in power and that's why he was known as a fugitive he was running away but in the midst of running away there are times when he felt like there was not enough food there was enough food for his army for the people who were following him can you experience just think about this for a moment can you think about that kind of experience that he learned that God will never forsake him think about when he became king That he wasn't something because he was chosen, because he was the brightest, the most handsome, even though that's what it says, he he was great. But guess what? He realized that God chose him sovereignly. That's why he was humble. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. How can we forget even when he sinned with Bathsheba and wanted to kill Uriah, uh, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? And you read the book of Psalms in 51, you see this prayer of repentance and you see the forgiveness that he experienced. See, your, your worship of God and what you see in his power and his greatness oftentimes is linked to what you've experienced. This is the reason why I believe there is not a single person in this world that cannot be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and come to know Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because my life was changed. My dad, who was a staunch 
against Christianity. I prayed for her for years. And by God's sovereign grace, he came to know Jesus Christ. Both my parents love the Lord now. And they're so proud that they have a son who's a pastor. Before they wouldn't have, oh my God, a pastor. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, transforming a life. I was lost, but now I was found. That's why when I look at someone who's a pre-Christian, I believe that they can come to know Jesus Christ. If God soundly has chosen them, predestined them, they will come to know Jesus Christ. That's why I don't get discouraged when it comes to evangelism, because I know that God, when he wants to do something, he will do it. Some of you have no clue. He brought you to Hong Kong, not just for the education, because now you have a Christian roommate who happens to go to HMCC of Hong Kong. And you're like thinking, what is going on? And then you got introduced to life group. All those things are just God working in your life so you could come to a point where you can come to know him. So in the midst of all this, David realized how great God was in spite of his sinfulness, in spite of his shortcomings, he was probably the person who was wondering, God, why in the world would you love a person like me? And this is the reason why, as he's grasping how great God is, the first thing David does, it says he extols God and bless his name forever. We see that. Now, it's important to note that the word name appears two times in these two verses. When David is referencing to God's name, even though he doesn't say God Almighty or God whatever, when he says your name, that is an attribution of who he is. You are God. And he's, once again, from his experience, he's thinking about the God of power, the God of love, the God of patience, the God of justice, the God of mercy, when he says your name, he's thinking about all these attributes of God. And that is why his heart is full of praise for who God is. And something that he will continue to do because of what God has done for him. Look at some of these other translations of verse 2. It says this, my heart, come on, everyone read the yellow section with me. My heart explodes with praise to you. Now and forever, my heart bows in worship to you, my king and my God. What a, what a powerful imagery. My heart explodes with praise to you. The voice translation says this, I will lift my praise above everything to you, my God and king. I will continually bless your name forever and always. See, as we see in verse 2, that exalting God is not something that he does here and there. Listen to me carefully. This is important. But he states that he will what? He will praise God, extol God. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. This is why when you think about the greatness of God, when it comes in the context of worship, you realize that it's not something that you just do because you feel like it. Because there are many times you don't feel like it. There are many times you don't want to get up and come out to church. There are many times you're tired after a long day of work, those of you in the city ministry, that you don't want to go to life group. You just want to go home and just grab something to eat and just watch Netflix and just fall asleep. The last thing you want to do is go to life group.
But what David is saying is that he, he's making this a daily routine because God is constantly working. That's why he always has something to praise God for. Can I ask you right now, is there something that you could praise God for right now? Actually, let's do this. It's not in my nose. I just feel led to do this. Let's just do it. Turn to that person next to you and just in five seconds, tell them one thing. If you, if you have nothing, just say, I'm breathing. Just praise God because I'm breathing. You're not dead. You're alive, all right? So just, just in five seconds each, can you just tell that person next to you what you praise God for right now? Go ahead and do that. Amen. Okay, that's the end of my sermon then. Let's go home, all right? You guys, you guys are just talking. You guys preach to each other then. That's why in verse 3, we see that God's greatness is what? It says unsearchable. It's unfathomable. You cannot fathom how great it is because it is limitless. It has this idea of you cannot comprehend it. It is incomprehensible. You'll see this in the translations of the Amplified. It says this, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and His greatness is so vast and profound as to be unsearchable. It is what? Incomprehensible to man. The voice translation says the eternal is great and deserves endless praise. His greatness knows no limit, recognizes no boundary. Nothing can define, it just goes forth. No one can measure or comprehend his magnificence. But let's be honest this morning. It's very hard for us to do this because we get so easily distracted with the things of this world. We get so distracted that our, our eyes, our spiritual eyes are blinded to see all the great things that God is doing and how great and awesome he is. Every single day. What would happen if every single day before you go to sleep, you could just praise God for one thing that he has done? I think this is the problem with many of us because we get so distracted by temporary things that we lose sight of the eternal and who God is. It's just one exam. No, it's not, Pastor. It is. It's that one mistake at work. But I'm going to get fired. There will be another job. Sometimes we get so caught up in the things that are temporary, we lose sight of the greater things. Listen to what John Piper said in his book, Hunger for God. I thought this was a great quote. He says this. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy becomes very exciting. Huh. Let's just pause here for a moment. If you don't see the greatness of God, all the things of this earth that you could buy with your money, they're the ones that becomes more exciting. Ocean Park becomes more exciting. 
that sale at your favorite store becomes more exciting. That job that you just got because you killed that interview, that's more exciting. That internship, that exchange program that you got into, it's more exciting. If you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with the streetlight. Amen. So true. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with the world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. This is us. This is many of us. Instead of seeing God, the eternal, the one that is worthy of all our worship, the greatness of God who created all things, instead of being enamored by him and worshiping him, we get so caught up in the things around us, even the problems around us, that those are the things that consumes our heart. That's why in Psalm 96 verse 4 says this, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. All gods are things, not only different religions, but also the things that you worship, the idols that we create. Those are gods in our hearts. I love how the message translation translates 96, chapter 96 verse 4 of the book of Psalms. It says this, For God is great and worthy a thousand hallelujahs. His terrible beauty makes what? The God look cheap. Can I ask you? How many of you ladies would like a, a, a fake Gucci bag compared to a real one? And let me just say, it's free. Give me the fake one. <laughs> I, 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 that looks so good. Just like the real one, just give me the fake one. How many of you men want a fake Rolex? Just give me that fake one. I know the time goes off a little bit, but just give me the fake one. <laughs> At least I look good. Give me that fake relationship. That's not going to last. That's going to break my heart. <laughs> this is when you want you, you to go like this. Okay, I'm not looking at any of you. Everyone knows something inside of our heart tells us we don't want the fake thing. We don't want the cheap thing. We want the real thing. But we get so easily amused and so easily satisfied with temporary things. That's why you will never be satisfied. There will be this insatiable desire in your heart to constantly want more. You get a 3.9, you want a 4. You get a 4, you're like, what else is there? Then you're going to get more degrees. You get all these degrees, the master's and the PhD, whatever. You, you want to get a couple PhDs then. Do you remember when you got your first flat? You're like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. Even though you're renting, even though it's dirty, there's cockroach. You're like, thank God we got our place. <laughs> then after a little while, what happens? You just get used to it, and then you visit someone else's place. Oh, it's nicer when it's a little bit bigger. Oh, it's nicer when it's a little bit cleaner. Oh, it's better in area. And guess what? 
We want that. And I'm telling you right now, you could continue to do this, and the only other place that will fully satisfy you is at the peak. Oh, everyone is looking down at me, looking up to me. That is the plight of the human nature is that you will constantly want more and you will never, and I say never, you'll never be satisfied. This is the reason why God's greatness is oftentimes linked to his power. If God is the greatest, listen to me, if God is the greatest, then there is nothing in this world that can come against him or rival him or compare to him. That's why the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 to 26, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Listen to what he says. To whom will you compare me? This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his what? Come on, say it. His great power and incomparable strength. Greatness of God, who's, who's like me, who compares to me. And then it says what? To his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one is missing. Listen to the Passion Translation. It says this. The Holy One asks, who can find anyone or anything to compare to me? There is the one. Where is the one equal to me? Lift up your eyes to the skies and see for yourself. Who do you think created the cosmos? He lit every shining star and formed every uh, glowing galaxy and stationed them all where they belong he has numbered counted and even given everyone a name they shine because of god's what incredible power and awesome might not one fails to appear how about us this morning do do you recognize god's greatness every single day just around you I mean, what would happen if you got up in the morning and you're, you're still halfway sleeping, you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, God, you are great to create someone like me. <laughs> now, some of you think that I'm promoting, you know, narcissistic kind of tendencies. No. I'm not talking about how great you look because you don't look good in the morning. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Some of us have to cover it up with some stuff, but you know what I'm saying? You know, a little tab there, there, and. But to know that out of everyone in this world, God created, he knew you in your mother's womb, that you are here for a purpose, that you're not an accident. Everything you've gone through, God is doing something that you don't know right now. You cannot comprehend, but in his power and in his might, he is doing something. And you can look in the mirror and say, I am loved by God. I'm created for a purpose. Can you look and see all that God is doing and see his greatness and his power? I think for some of us, we get focused on the wrong things that we can't see his power at work. So what do we do? We end up trusting ourselves and depending on ourselves instead of trusting in God. So that's why we must Praise God's greatness. As we think about God's greatness, what it does to us, it inspires this exaltation so that it can influence 
the next generation. Let me close out with the second point. And the second point is this. We must not only praise God's greatness, but here we must proclaim God's goodness. That we must proclaim God's goodness. Let's go ahead and read verse 4 through 7, and we'll see this. It says, One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Let's go ahead and just look at this first section here. All throughout the Bible and all throughout history, we will notice this concept of generations and how it's important. God is constantly trying to address generations because it is so easy to lose a generation as people go astray. If you don't believe me, think about the book of Judges. I would love, we'll cover the book of Judges one of these days. What an awesome book. It is almost prescriptive to warn us of what happens. It always talks about in this year of this king and in this generation, they followed the Lord. They did the things of the Lord or they had these leaders and they followed these leaders and then they were following the Lord. The next generation, they did not follow the Lord because that generation did not teach the other generation. Then they go through the cycle and then the next generation, they followed the Lord because they found a book. They found some writings or somehow God worked. And so you see this pattern over and over again is that God is so concerned with generations because you could lose a generation in any moment. Now, think about this. Not only does God care about generation because it could be lost in any moment, but I want you to think about this, that generation is important to him because he always has a longer view in mind. Always thinking about not just now, but the future. Genesis chapter 9, verse 12. Do you remember? Then God said to what? Abraham, and what did he say as he was speaking? He says, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and all living uh, creatures for all generations to come. So I'm going to do something because I'm not just thinking about you, but I'm thinking about all the generation that is to come. Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, the New Living Translation again. It says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from what? From generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So once again, he is concerned, not just for your descendant and your generation, but it's like going on and on. Here's another passage. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. He's thinking about everything that he's doing in his power now is because it's for the future generation. That's why the verse that we've been talking about, the theme verse, which is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. In verse 21, it says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all what? All generations forever and ever. Amen. David describes the importance of one generation, commending the works to another generation. So that's why he's using words like mighty acts, 
wondrous works and awesome deeds. You see this all throughout these verses. What he's trying to say is that God has been doing some incredible things and we draw attention to that in verse 6. Listen to what it says in verse 6. Your all-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Your marvelous doings are headline news. I could write a book full of the details of your greatness. All these things is blowing him away and he realized it is because God is good. I think too often we forget all the good things and the great things that God is doing in our lives. For those of us who have been with our church from the beginning, or maybe you've joined us in the early stages of our church, do, do, do you remember where we used to meet? It used to be a canteen at PolyU. Praise God for the PolyU students, but listen, because some of you are like, oh, some of you are right now just reminiscing. I, I miss those days. Where I could just get up, don't brush my teeth in my pajamas, come downstairs and worship the Lord. <laughs> yeah. But even before the canteen, there was a small little space that we worship it. Because there were only like 30, 40 of us. And we forget that God has worked so powerfully, grew our church, and to be able to experience what we're experiencing now. Do you remember the time there was only two life groups? Someone does. But anyway, do, do you remember? It was in CU and Poly, that's it. If it just stopped there, some of you who go to UST, HKU, or Baptist U, or City U, any of these other campuses, you, you would not have experienced some of this, these things. Even thinking about the, the city ministry, I mean, we were just spread out with the college students. We're like, uh, okay, we got to do something for the city. And then it started with one. And it just multiplied. Like I'm bringing this to your attention because we forget that it is the mighty work of God. And the point that David is trying to say is you got to proclaim his goodness to others. This is part of discipleship. This is part of reaching the next generation. That's why in the book of Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2, it says, O Lord, I have what? Heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Uh, oh, Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Look at some of these other translations. You don't have to read after it in the yellow. I'm just going to quickly read this. I've heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in the years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. NIV says this, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day and in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I don't know about you, but I want this to be our prayer. Especially whenever someone new comes to our church. Because they, they don't have the history that some of us have experienced of all these great things that God has shown us. That to be able to say, God, may we proclaim your goodness and share all that you have done. Those of you who are seniors in your university, God has worked in so many different ways in the last four years. I pray that you'll proclaim that to the next generation. To those of us who have been in our city ministry for a while, that I pray that you will share the goodness 
of who God is because of all that he has done in the last four some years or even the last six years of our church. And that's why in verse 8 through 13, let me just close with this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, it says, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is what? Come on, say that word. Good. He is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. We see this idea of generations again. And it says the Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. It's his goodness, his kindness that leads us to experience what we're experiencing. And that's why David, once again, is reiterating the character of God and all the works of his hands. And it's interesting because when he talks about God and his faithfulness, he is faithful to everything that he has said that he will do. That's why I love Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3. It says, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, ascribe it to him. I ask you, are you proclaiming God's goodness in your life? Especially when you know that the things that you're experiencing is beyond you and you cannot do it on your own strength or power. You look upon his greatness. You look upon his power and you say, God, I need your help. And through that, as you experience more of his goodness, then you cannot help but to proclaim it to other people around you. This is the reason why, as we're sharing here, when you think about the work of God, that when you ponder, meditate, consider the greatness of God, the goodness of God, you cannot help but to exalt him. And when you begin to lift him up and exalt him for who he is, then guess what? You're going to start influencing the generations around you. I pray that that will be your heart as we think about the word of God to go beyond this coming year. We're going to experience a lot of things. I've already been sharing with some of our uh, key leaders, some of the open doors that God is giving to us. We'll share with the rest of the church in, in due time. But we're just confirming some things. But there are things that God is wanting to do, and we're excited about it. And we just know that it wasn't us. It was God. It was in his power and in his might that he's opening up these doors for us. That's why it should humble us. That's why we should be worshiping. That's why we should be praising him. That's why we should attribute and ascribe and give all the glory to him and him alone. So once again, God's greatness inspires exaltation and influences the next generation. You know, as I was thinking about this, I said, uh, what, what are some practical things we can do? I don't know if you noticed, but as you can tell, we're going to have communion today. And I just wanted to give us just some thoughts on this. Because when you think about the exaltation of God. It was Jesus Christ in obedience to the Father that he came down to this earth to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. So every single one of us, we were condemned not only to die, but to face the wrath of God. But Jesus Christ, because he lived this perfect life, when he died on the cross, 
He became the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of this world. He literally became the sacrificial lamb on behalf of the whole world. And when he died on that cross, that was, that was us that should have been hanging on that cross. It should have been us paying the price, the penalty of our sin. But God paid it for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And in that understanding of the goodness of God, the question is, why wouldn't we now give our lives to worship him and to live for him? That's why the Apostle Paul said what? In view of all of God's mercies to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. When you start viewing all of God's mercy in your life, you cannot help but to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Every single time you start complaining, every single time you get self-centered, every single time you make everything about you, that means that you have forgotten. You have, you're not seeing and viewing God's goodness and God's greatness. So I want to challenge us to think about how we can live our lives differently even after hearing a message on the greatness of God and the goodness of God and how that should fill our hearts with exaltation and want to reach the next generation. The first thing is this, learn to see God's greatness in things. Learn to see God's greatness in things around you. Can I just encourage us? One of the things that I want to, I want to just kind of put forth before you is that be the kind of person who's always praising God for something. Can, can you make that a commitment? The second thing is this. Lean on God's power in prayer or through prayer. Some of you are going through different things in your life. And I want to just encourage us that when you get to that point where there's nothing more you can do in your situation, the only thing you can do is rest and just lean upon God and just try to imagine like the Father and, and, and His bosom just embracing you. And you're realizing that, God, there's nothing I can do. You're running to Him because you've tried everything. Now you're leaning into His presence and you're saying, God, I need your help. Remember what I said earlier? Some of you don't really see the greatness of God because why? You haven't experienced the greatness and the goodness of God. So maybe one of the things that you could start doing is to actually start praying. Spend some time this week doing that. And third and last thing is this, is live and leave a legacy. You know, a lot of times we're like, oh, I'll, I'll live a legacy later. Live it now. Those of you who are seniors, I'm really sorry to say, but your college life is going to end soon. This is your last year. I know some of you are really excited. Oh, my God, I want to get out of this undergrad. But trust me, when you get to my age, you wish you could go back to undergrad. Those were the easiest years. Yep. Pizza at 3 in the morning, you know, ramen late at night, hanging out. I know right now life seems so busy and so hard. 
but can I just get a, a good amen from the city ministry that college life is the easiest time? Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. You hear that, students? You hear that? And those of you who are single adults, I'm telling you right now, it's easy. You don't believe me? I don't know how many married couples are here. You just, uh, you know, you'll get a good amen. <laughs> and those of you who are married with no kids, it's easy. Because just talk to Pastor Bo. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> when until you have kids? And I look at Pastor Bo. Those are, those, that's easy. Because it's just physical, right? You just have to endure lack of sleep I can do that but wait until your kid turns junior high and high school it's called teenage years it's called rebellion now you gotta psych them out you gotta use more mental energy you gotta listen you gotta try to talk with them life gets harder and the thing that I want to just encourage you with is this not to scare you about the future but live your life now so that how you live your life you can live a legacy those of us once again if you are a senior make this the best years of your college life maybe you screwed up your freshman sophomore year you were so chasing after the thing and you finally realized it will never make me happy be one of the best life group members this year it doesn't mean you come out to everything there's other stuff you gotta do we understand that but when you're there be all there Meet up with some of these younger guys to encourage them and to share your life lesson. Some of you who are in the city ministry, you better leave your, I keep on trying to encourage, you don't know when you're going to pass away. Live your legacy now. Because why? Some of you will have to go back to your country. Some of you will have to go and move to another city. So every single time your name comes up, what will people say? Oh, that sly fox. He always played around with all the girls, you know? And yeah, all the girls were hurt by him. Is that your legacy? Oh, that person who rarely came out, rarely served, they're just kind of consumed with themselves because it's all about them. Is that your legacy? I think the greatest legacy you can leave is that here was a man or here was a woman who loved God, who loved people, who loved the cause of Christ, the mission of God, and they laid down their life and gave everything that they had. That's inspiring. So even after many years later, if I don't even know who you are, if that's your legacy, I would love to meet you. You only have one life. And how you live your life, I'm telling you right now, is the impact and the influence you will have in the generations to come. May the younger generation of people always look to you and say, I want to become more like Jesus because of this person. Start today, not later, because we don't know about later, but start today. Be sacrificial, be generous with your time, with your money, with your talent. Be able to minister to people. You don't have to be a leader to minister to people. 
minister to them the way you would want to be ministered to. Serve. Be on board with what God's doing in our context. Let's advance his kingdom forward here in Hong Kong and beyond and into the circle. And we know that we cannot do this apart from the power and the Holy Spirit. That's why we've got to pray and depend on him. I'm going to ask us right now if we could all stand together. ask us just to bow our heads for a moment if you can just close your eyes and why don't you just take a deep breath once again just take a deep breath because oftentimes when we start inhaling that's just reminds us of God's presence even as we exhale it reminds us of just releasing those things in our lives sin doubt fear whatever it is that's hindering us We at this moment want to just be able to worship, think about who God is, and then we're going to take communion. So if you can, just for this brief moment, let's just start thinking about the greatness of God and the goodness of God. Where would you have been if God was not working this past year or this summer? Think about some of the things that you are going through right now. And there are other people who are struggling with even deeper and greater things, but they don't know Jesus Christ. So they turn to all this other stuff to medicate the pain, to numb the pain, to forget about the pain. But even though we're going through pain, we have Jesus, we have community. So we can thank him for his goodness in the way he's providing for us. Think about all the times that he has worked powerfully, answered your prayer, working miracles, providing for you. All those things that seemed like a coincidence, it was really God incidences where God came and showed himself to be strong. So for the next minute, I'm just going to ask you to ponder upon that and then translate that into just prayers of thanksgiving. Just thank him. Thank you for who he is. Thank you for all that he has done in your life. And we want to respond in that way. Come on, let's do that, can we? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.